I'm so glad that you chose to spend your Sunday morning here at West. Thank you for being here or worshiping with us online. We extend a very special and warm welcome to you. Today we are finishing up our message series called Skeletons in the Closet. And today is the only day that probably like from this point on, uh, my feelings won't get hurt if you get up and leave like in the middle of the message because we invite you to do so this morning. If you uh, have ever considered giving blood or have thought it, have done it before and you are willing to do it again, we have an organization here that is taking blood today and we also know how much it is needed right now, especially in light of the natural disasters that have happened. There is a shortage of blood and so we do ask that if you are interested, you are welcome to get up and go and check in at the table out there. And also that we give a little extra patience this morning. They are a little short-staffed in that there were two blood drives already scheduled today in Jewish synagogues in our immediate area. And so you can imagine the turnout there has been huge uh, after the, the shooting last Sunday uh, or last Saturday on their Sabbath. I would ask, uh, I would like for us to actually bow and in a time of prayer for all of our Jewish brothers and sisters across the nation that are worshiping today. Would you join with me in prayer? Gracious God, we hear of senseless tragedies every time we look uh, on the media or hear the news. But last weekend, a group of people gathered together in their sacred space, much like we are gathered here today. And a tragedy happened in the middle of that. And it took lives. God, we know that everybody deals with their stuff in different ways and in some ways are not healthy at all. We pray for the family and the person that committed the crime. We also pray for the families of those who now abide with you. And we just ask that as we, your people, seek to follow you, that you will speak to us and guide us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I paused in the middle of the prayer because I thought about asking prayer for us as we vote this week, but I didn't want to go there. So anyway, I'm really not going there now, but I didn't want you to think I had like some little blip in the middle of the prayer. I would just say exercise your freedom to vote, recognizing that we all fall on different ends of the spectrum. And so today in worship, we are going to conquer the last of our skeletons. We all have them, whether we like to think about it and whether we like to admit it or not. And today is a day 
today that I'm really excited about because we have a couple of folks that are a part of the West community and they, uh, in a little while, are going to share with you their story and how they, as a couple, overcame a skeleton that one of them was dealing with in a, in a really significant way. Before we do that, uh, we always ground everything in scripture, so I wanted to share with you one final story about someone that battled some skeletons in his closet and then went on to do some really amazing things. His name is Moses, and he is one of the Hebrew fathers of faith. He led the Egyptian people out of slavery and captivity. And, I mean, in as far as Hebrew, Hebrew scripture goes, he's famous. He's a big deal. And I want you to hear how all that began. So he's older, he ends up being born and, and put in a basket in a river and ends up being raised by Pharaoh's daughter because they were killing all the Israelite boys. And so he grows up into being a young man and then this happens. This is taken from the second book of, or the second chapter of Exodus. Time passed, Moses grew up. One day he went and saw his brothers and he saw all the hard labor that they were doing. Then he saw an Egyptian hit a Hebrew, one of his own relatives. He looked this way, and then he looked that way. And when he realized that no one was in sight, he killed the Egyptian, and he buried him in the sand. The next day, he went out there again, and two Hebrew men were fighting. He spoke to the man who started it. Why are you hitting your neighbor? The man shot back. Who do you think you are telling us what to do? Are you going to kill me the way you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses panicked. Word's gotten out. People know about this. Do you ever feel like that after you do something wrong? You're like, oh, man, they're going to find out. They're gonna, it's called imposter syndrome that people in our lives are going to figure out that maybe we're not as perfect as we portray or as they think that we are. That happened to Moses. He killed a guy. That's his skeleton in his closet. And then it's like, duh, of course people are going to figure it out. But guess what? Regardless of what our skeletons are in our closet, God already knows that. God knows all the baggage that we carry around. And the beautiful thing is that God loves us in spite of it. I want to flash forward. So God has this mark on Moses. He realizes that Moses is this, this special individual, just as we all are special in the eyes of God. And so he picks Moses for a really, really important task. And he goes to Moses, and he appears to Moses in this burning bush. The bush doesn't blow, uh, go up in flames, but it is on fire. Moses encounters the bush and, and realizes it's the voice of God. And, and God's like, you know, hey, I want you. I want you to work with me, and here is what I need you to do. I need you to lead the Israelite people, out of slavery. Lead them out of captivity. You're the man. You're the one that's been chosen to do this. And Moses is like, no, no, not me. Moses realizes he's killed a guy, you know, probably not the best candidate that would have broken some of the, the moral code that they lived in. And he's like, no, God, you've got the wrong person. And so this banter goes back and forth between Moses and God for quite some time. And then God says, Now Moses, I'll be with you. 
And this will be the proof that I am the one who sent you. When you've brought my people out of Egypt, you will worship God right here at this very mountain. It's the beautiful thing about God and the promises of God in our lives, despite all of our skeletons. When God talks to us, if we listen, there is no if. There's no if God is going to walk alongside us. God, are you going to be there with me? Every time in every single story where God encounters people with skeletons in their lives, it is not an if, but it's a when. God says, when you bring them out of captivity. It's a powerful story. I invite you to read the book of Exodus. If you haven't yet, it talks about all the trials that they went through. And I think sometimes in our lives, when we encounter trials, we feel like it means that God is not on our side. And the adversity and and all the junk that seems to be weighing on us means that we're not living right. We're not living in God's will. And that's why all these bad things are happening. And that simply is not true. Following God, worshiping God, loving God does not mean that we are going to go through life and it is going to be easy. Following God does not mean easy. What it does mean is that we take willing steps and say, okay, God, here I am. And we don't let the skeletons that we have in our closet be a deterrent to us. We are kings and queens of excuses, and we don't have to be. When we turn our lives over to God, when we say, here I am, baggage, skeletons and all, use me, beautiful things happen. Because we all, each of us here, those of us worshiping online, we are created in the image of a beautiful God. And that beautiful and loving God loves each of us despite all the junk and the stuff that we have that gets in the way. I invite you to meditate on what skeletons you have in your closet this morning that you need to let go of so that we can embrace, each of us, how beautiful we are in the eyes of God. So I'm going to invite our guest speakers to come up on the stage with me this morning. Uh, They sent me a text earlier that said they were both sick. And uh, we've been planning this for a few weeks, so they wrote me and said they were both sick this morning and they were going to be unable to speak. I'm like, that's what you wish had happened to you this morning, but that is not reality. Um, I know you were, and I am every Sunday, but it just, you know. It is a great idea. Um, I know, first of all, that it's a big deal that you share this part of your story with us today. So I want you to know that I'm honored that you have chosen to do this. And would you guys give them a warm welcome as we prepare to hear from them? So, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Tell us your name and all that kind of stuff. Okay. I'm Tyler. I'm really nervous. You can see my hands shake. Um, We've been at West for... January 2015. January 2015. I am a realtor. I'm the oldest of four, two adopted little sisters, um, all scattered all over the place. So family is y'all. So thank y'all. Yeah. Cool. I am Drake. Um, 
I'm the baby of four. I work at uh, Lowe's Corporate. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, I'm a preacher's kid. I guess that's a big thing. Yeah. Um, so my dad's a Methodist preacher. I grew up in the church. Much like Andrea grew up in the church, so coming to West was, was quite a relief. It's breath of fresh air. Yes. Good. So tell us, actually, Tyler, how did you start coming to West? So probably like the rest of you guys, we ended up here. I say that as a joke. We ended up here the recommendation of a therapist because we are big fans of mental health and keeping your mental health in line. Um, and we had been going through some, some rough stuff. Um, and so we ran across this great counselor who had heard of Andrea and then heard of Wes and he actually came here and loved it and thought we would be a good fit for it. So we thought we'll give it a shot. And we did. All right. One of my favorite parts of our story as me being your pastor and uh, growing into a friendship together is our first interaction together and how we sort of met one another. And so I'm picking on Drake when I ask this question, but uh, I just... I think God uses all things. So would you tell them about our first interaction together? So I hear God through music. That's just my thing. It's always been my thing. And I remember it was, and I found the email. It's January 25th, 2015. I sent Andrea an email after church one day because you were talking about one of the musicians that was leaving. And you were sad to see her go. And it was, and all I know is I'm a very honest person. And my email back to Andrea brutally was... Brutally honest. Brutally honest. My email back to Andrea was... Not back. I didn't write oh, you sorry. first. My email to Andrea... <laughs> you don't Andrea, get to do that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> my email to Andrea was, you know, there's really no reason to be upset that this person's going. And I didn't mean it negative. I didn't mean it like... Because I didn't know the person. Right. But I wasn't getting fed by the music. So it's like, eh, it's okay. Like, something better will come. And the sure worst enough, things are never the last things. Right. And that'll not be the, that's not the last time we use that. So uh, when I got the email, it, you know, tone is so hard to infer in an email. And we've done this color inventory as a church, you know, about different personality types. And I'm way too sensitive. So I'm telling you this so that if you want to send me an email, if you could couch it in like just warm fuzziness, that is always appreciated. And, and Drake did not mean anything ugly, but what it did was it started some honest conversation. And he even went on to say, you know, I'm a pastor's kid and worship's really important to me. Music's a big deal. And so I wrote back and, and it just started this honest dialogue that I believe has led us to this place. Uh, you guys have always felt like you could say whatever to me, and you have allowed that opportunity for me to be uh, bluntly honest back. It's sort of our deal, and so uh, that's been really cool, right? Yeah. I think okay. it's been really cool. Yeah, it's been really great. There are certain times that it's like, oh, I don't know. Well, there are certain times, like, you can get your feelings hurt easily. We right. know that. Tyler can't. But there's times as we go through this that I'm sure Tyler would say, you know, there's days I just didn't want to deal with Andrea. <laughs> and there's days you didn't want to deal with me because I was just honest. And not that we meant anything negative by it, but I think we have that relationship where we can take it for, we know it's to try to better the right. situation. And it's a journey, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, it isn't all easy. And so, like, the three of us in a relationship, we have skeletons in our own closet. And whether or not we let those skeletons define us was up to us. I mean, Tyler, for a season, was the leader of the mm -hmm. food truck. And anytime you move into a pivotal leadership role 
at West, I mean, you and I are like this, and I'm going to let you know, it's not all warm, fuzzy roses of, you know, roses with thorns would be me. Uh, it's not daisies, you know, working side by side, because I'm not perfect, and I have a strong shocker personality. And so that was funny. You could laugh. Um, so it's not always easy. And one of the things that I've appreciated about our relationship is the willingness to dig in and dig deep and have those hard conversations and come to the other side. And that's part of being a Christ follower. We don't get to give up and give in when things get tough, which leads us to the next part of the, of the conversation. So, Tyler. So we're going to my part now? Yeah. Uh, you... Uh, in our journey, we're, we're battling some pretty big skeletons in your own closet, and you went yeah. to battle with them, and now you're here. So why don't you very frankly and honestly and in this safe space yeah. tell us about So that. I've told both of them that if I start to glaze over anything to stop me, because with it being a skeleton and the content, I would want to skip over it because it's not something I'm proud of. It's not something that people get up and say, hey, I wish this happened to me. Um, but it's reality. And so um, I come from a long line of men who like, like their alcohol. Um, the signs have always been there. My dad um, is a functioning alcoholic. I love my dad. If my dad were to watch this, sorry, dad. Um, but my dad is an alcoholic. His dad, dad before that. On my mom's side, alcoholism everywhere, um, and I always thought that could never happen to me because I, I know about the situation, so I'm not going to know. I know what's going on. Um, and then I got to a point where I started to really question if I was having issues, and I really got really, really honest with myself and thought, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be dealing with the stress of the day or the stress of life in this manner. It's probably not normal for somebody to drink as much as I do. It's probably not normal to have a bottle of alcohol hidden in different places of the house. It's probably not normal to have alcohol stashed in my car under the trunk where the spare tire is. Hmm. Because I know Drake's never going to look there. I know I'm never going to see it when I'm getting out. Um, probably not normal to have a bottle of alcohol in my desk drawer at, at work. I don't think that's normal. Um, it's not normal for me. Um, and then I got to the point. It's not normal for anyone. Not normal for anybody. So yeah, but, you're um, right. And then I got to a point where I noticed that it was affecting different aspects of my life. Um, we'll get to our relationship because it took a, a tremendous toll. But um, it was taking an effect on friendships, business life. My business was really suffering, um, and it's because I would get upset and I would drink. I wouldn't do anything productive about it. I would be really stressed out about something or something wouldn't go my way, and I would, I would hit the bottle. Um, there were multiple, multiple times that I probably shouldn't have been behind the wheel of a car. Mm. Um, I can remember lots of nights driving with one eye open, trying to stay in the lanes. Um, and just the person I was when I would drink to the, the point of being totally drunk um, was not the person that I wanted to be. It's not a good example for anybody. Um, the things I would say and the things I would do, just not not good. And um, I finally got to a point where I need to fix this because if I don't fix it, I'm probably not going to be here in six months. And life's pretty great. I kind of want to be here for it. Um, hmm. And I have people that want me to be here for it, and I want to be here for people for it. 
Um, so I started working on getting sober. Um, I did the stereotypical go to AA thing. And I remember my first day leaving AA, I wanted to hit the bar. It was awful. Um, it was just a room full of folks, and it just seemed really sad. We were all just talking about why we drink and what we do when we drink, what drinking has cost us, and it was a nightmare. I felt like I had, I'm not saying AA is terrible. If it works for people, great. It's, it totally works for a lot of folks. But for me, I just needed that happy, it's going to get better. The worst things are never the last things. You're, you're going to get through this. Here's how. And I didn't have that. Um, so I stopped going to AA. And when you stop going to something that puts your issues in the forefront, you, you do a little bit of a backslide. And so I backslid a whole lot. And um, we're lucky to have a very good counselor um, who helped us really get, get through it. And I know you want to throw stuff in, so go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Um, but no, so I, I've been sober since July 22nd of last year. So wow. it's a full, over a full year. Um, it's, and just the, the amount of change I've seen in my life in that year is pretty insane. Um, and every day I wake up and I think, man, had I not have gotten sober, or sorry, um, what, what, would, what would my life look like now? And it wouldn't be the life that I want. I wouldn't be building this life that we are. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing. If there's anything I glazed over, throw it out because. No, I mean, you you, you said everything that it is. The reality is, is alcoholism is a disease. As much as I wanted to sit at the house and say, dang it, Tyler, like for the love of God, just do something different. It's not that easy. Um, and so then it's, well, what did I do to cause this? Well, I didn't do anything to cause it. I don't even think Tyler did anything to cause it. It's just happened. And it was rough. It was very rough. I mean, So I was, wanted you to speak to that. Talk about the impact that Tyler's skeletons had in your relationship and on you. Well, I remember sitting in your office one day, and this <laughs> bugs me. Do we have tissues? <laughs> no. I don't need tissues, but if you know me, I'm an emotional person. But you don't know why I'm emotional because you didn't live our life and you don't know what was behind the, the doors. Um, sitting in your office and you said, you know, I don't want to do your funeral. Because the reality, that's where Tyler was going. He was going to a place that he was going to die very young. I if, said that to Tyler? Yeah. we sat. Oh, you don't remember that? <laughs> Talk about a rose with thorns. <laughs> but I knew where you were coming from. I don't know. If it was Tyler, said with, with love. Absolute love. I don't know if Tyler was sober in that meeting either. I mean, and reality is he mm. probably wasn't. And I remember what happened the night before. I remember us talking and then all three of us in your office. It just, it was ugly. Um, I do remember that. I do remember. Um, I knew I loved you both so much. And I knew that my call as your pastor was to be honest. I had forgotten that I said, I don't want to do your funeral. It was probably one of the most important things to get said. So thank you. Well, thank you. So there was, that was not long before we, Tyler moved out. Like, we can say however we want to do it. The reality is, as I told Tyler, you got to move out. Was it to fix myself? Was it to fix Tyler? It was both. Because the person I was becoming, monitoring Tyler, I basically felt like a babysitter. It's like, well, where's Tyler right now? Is Tyler drinking? Is Tyler doing this? Is Tyler doing this? So I wasn't living a life. 
And there would be certain days I would get home and Drake would know that I was acting different and you can buy alcohol monitoring swabs and I would get swabbed before I go in the house and if it was positive, it was not a good night. But I needed that checks and balances system because if I didn't have it, I would, I would continue to drink. Because And it I'm, would be easy for us to sit on the outside. So I want us to think about that when we are in relationship with other people and we know that they're dealing with stuff. It's easy for us to pass judgment on whether or not we think Tyler's doing the right thing or whether or not we think Drake's doing the right thing. And the reality is just what Drake just said. Nobody knows. We all, you know, live in a world where we put our best steps forward for the world to see. But if we were to pick up the rooftop off of any of our homes and look in from the top when people don't know that we're looking, we've all got stuff. So one of the things that we as a church are really passionate about is not passing judgment on others wherever they are in their lives. So um, thank you for speaking to the fact that, I mean, there's a lot of accountability and it impacted how you were acting and, and acting toward Tyler and, and all that kind of stuff. Because ultimately we both just wanted it fixed. Right. It's not that easy. Mm -hmm. I wish it was that easy. I could pray about it. And it's like, come on, God, what are we going to do? Like nothing's happening. Um, we lost a lot of friends during the situation. And you know what? It hurt. It hurt. But the reality is those people weren't ready to deal with it and they weren't able to deal with it. And that's okay because it was our issue and it's something yep. we had to figure out. And right. we weren't the best people we were, we weren't the best people we were supposed to be at that time. And, and I know that. And that made people uncomfortable. And I'm completely okay with that. But again, everyone has their issues. Right. And we just need to be cognizant of that. So we went to Uganda together. Uh, just a couple of years ago, right, this time of year. And I watched, not intentionally, like I wasn't stalking you while we were in Uganda, but I just watched you two fall in love with the mission and the ministry there, those children, and that changed you. Uh, would you speak to that? So I had been to Africa a couple of times already. Uh, man, it was several years ago, Tyler had never been able to go. It's something that you want to experience with someone you care about because you can't come back and explain it. Like you all have heard about Uganda. Unless you've experienced it, you, it, you really haven't experienced it. Um, just the kids are innocent. It doesn't matter if it's there or if it's here. The kids are innocent. But it's a completely different kid than here. We want our Game Boys, uh, and I'm dating myself, totally so it may not yourself. be Game Boys or Sega <laughs> or any of this, but it's like you want your Xbox, and you want all this, and over there, I remember sitting, I remember sitting yeah. on that church floor, rolling an empty toilet paper roll back and forth with this little boy, and he couldn't have been happier, because it's not about the things. We're here, it's about the things. We have to compete with our neighbors. We've got to compete with the people down the street. We don't have to compete with anyone but ourselves. As long as we're becoming a better person every day, who cares? And so uh, the Africa, it, it was very interesting because you were starting, well, you had been in AA, you had been going through a lot of this during that time, and seeing Tyler over there and seeing how he was doing and how he was taking it all in is, I think, what had a huge impact on me. I think it was a complete mind shift for me. Just you have all of these people who are so happy with nothing. Mm. And then you get back home and 
you realize all this stuff that you have and how, like for me, I knew that the reason that I, I drank, there was something missing, something just wasn't right, and I, I was trying to fill it with, with alcohol. And it was a real aha for me because when I got back, I thought, these people have nothing. They have so little, but they're so happy. And I have so much, and I'm miserable. What's the deal? How's, how does that work? So that was the biggest mindset shift for me. And just um, the experience overall was was a total mind mind change because it it's different than being in the Lake Norman area and going to Africa where just people are, I feel like I'm starting to ramble. Um, they're just... They're just happy, and they're very thankful for what they have. And their relationship with, with God or their higher power is something that I've, I've left and I was very envious of. Um, so it definitely helped out. I had forgotten this until right now, but when we were sitting at dinner one of the nights, you had shared with me a book you were reading, and you looked at me and you said, not now, so don't get excited. Mm-hmm. But someday, oh, man. <laughs> yep. someday... I want to use my story, and I'm willing to tell my story, but not right now. I totally forgot about that, too. I did, too, until right now. And um, a few weeks ago, we were talking after worship, and Drake and Tyler said, you know, you can always refer to us in a sermon illustration if you need to, because they knew that I knew the skeletons that they have battled. And I said, well, instead of me referencing you, why don't you just tell your story So I say that now to say, you know, God was at work in their lives two years ago in Uganda. God has been at work in each of our lives from that moment of conception until now. I mean, God never leaves us or forsakes us, and you guys are living living proof to that. The beautiful sound of a baby right now leads us to the last. That was a great segue and and such a beautiful uh, baby it is. And another testimony of how God is at work in lives with Aram Lumley. Uh, But that's another testimony for another day. But anyway, that sound is so beautiful and leads us to where you guys are in your lives right now. And so I wanted you to share that with us as we close today. So one thing you've always said is the worst things are never the last things, and they aren't. Um, It was a crappy time going through Tyler's issues, my issues for that matter. Um, It was bad. But it led us to where we are today. Um, And it's kind of weird when we really think about how it all came about. Tyler and I have talked about kids, yeah, mm, who knows. And then out of nowhere, little did we know, I'm doing my research on my own. Tyler's doing his research on his own. Something shows up in the mail, and Tyler's like, oh, what are you doing? Well, I'm reaching out, trying to get some information from some private agencies. Well, I didn't know he was doing the same. And I thought I checked emails. Don't send anything to my house because I wanted to keep this a secret. (laughs) And um, I never wanted to go through the foster system because it's kind of obvious we're two men, and we're in the state of North Carolina. How is that going to work? Um, so I was completely turned off from the foster system. But Tyler has two siblings in Tennessee, or from Tennessee foster system that they adopted, his parents adopted. So Tyler's like, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. Eh, I don't know. <laughs> we were sitting in the airport going to the Turks on vacation, and the lady from DSS called. And Tyler's off getting coffee, and he comes back. 
and I could see he picked up what was going on, and then the tears just started flowing. I said, I'll be back. And basically, the whole, what she's telling me is it has no impact if you're single, if you're a heterosexual, if you're a homosexual, if you're a male, if you're a female, it has no impact. It does not matter. As long as you can provide a loving home for a child in this county, we accept anything, which is huge. That is very huge. So we went to the Turks, and that was a whole disaster, and that's for a whole other time. But during the, the vacation, we're just sitting there talking and saying, do we do the paperwork? Like, do we do it? Is it worth it? Yeah. And we did it on a Friday. And we're flying back on Monday, and we're in the middle of an airport. And I think it was either Andrea or our counselor that texted us and saying, hey, DSS has already reached out for references. And we're like, whoa, slow down. We're like, this is way too, fast. too quick. <laughs> um, so we went through classes in May and June. And then in August, we started getting phone calls for, for kids that need help. And the reality is there's 160, at least 160 kids in Iredell County foster system, and there's 40 homes. Mm. So a lot of kids are being pushed out of the county because they work with other agencies to make sure the kids have somewhere to go, but it's not necessarily in the county. So uh, we, God's been in work all along. Because when they sent our license off to the state, it could take upwards of 45 days to be approved. We knew that. We're sitting back like, okay, we'll just wait it out. We were approved in two days. Like, that's not a coincidence. Like, there's no way that could be a coincidence. There are other people that took the class with us that took two to four weeks to get approved. I've believed this whole process, you're going to be approved when that specific kid is supposed to come to your house. Which is what happened. Uh, we got four different phone calls before we got our current two girls. Uh, the first phone call was for three kids. And I believe I texted or called you that day and said, Andrea, they're calling for three kids. I don't know what to do. We can't take three kids. Um, but we said yes. Because Tyler and I don't do anything easy. Like, it would be too <laughs> easy to say, now? hey, just send us one kid. That, that's perfect. No, we'll take three. But then they ended up going with a family member. Which I believe, and I've told Andrea this, I believe it was a test. It was a okay, you guys have signed up and said you're going to do this. I'm going to give you, a, and maybe it's not the hardest situation, but in my eyes right now, that's the hardest situation. I'm going to give you three kids off the bat. Are you going to step up and do it, or are you going to say, eh, no, that's really, I want the perfect situation. So we said, yeah. It didn't work out, which is okay. But by our fourth phone call, was it fourth? It was fourth, yeah. Uh, the day we got our five-month-old, we had a phone call for a two-year-old homeless boy. Tyler and I were all about it. Homeless, kids, homelessness, and dogs. elderly and dogs. That, those are my weaknesses. Um, so we said, sure, we're on it. And we're waiting, and they said, this is a for sure thing. It's happening. And we get a phone call at 5 o'clock that says, yeah, you know, they went with a family or they did something. But there is this two-and-a-half-month-old. Can you come to the hospital on Monday and pick her up? Sure. So we run out thinking. We thought we had our last kid-free weekend for sure. <laughs> so we were going to go have dinner together. We were going to pick up. Because when we first got our, our license, we didn't know. Like, we were just approved ages zero to five. Boy, any girl, gender. any gender. Um, so it, it's really hard to plan. But now we thought, since we have our age and we have our gender, we can go out, we can buy stuff, we can be prepared. So we get to 
Walmart, and we have a cart full of stuff, like, packed high, and my phone rings. And it's a Statesville number, and I know anytime it's Statesville, it's DSS. So I answered, and it's our social worker on the other end, and she says, hey, can you guys come to the hospital tonight? And I'm thinking, yeah, I, I would love to meet her, you know, before we <laughs> take her home on Monday. And I said, yeah, when? And she said, um, right now. Her mother has been asked to leave, um, so she needs someone to stay with her 24-7 until she is discharged. So <laughs> I got out of the fetal position in Walmart, and we ran home. We packed the hospital bag and um, but went to the hospital. The hospital bag situation, though, I was one of those, in my opinion, I was one of those expectant dads that would have ran to the hospital without the wife. Because I'm standing in the, in the hallway doing circles because I don't know what to do. Like, I've never had a baby at my house. I don't know what to expect. Tyler's just walking around all calm, and I'm I thinking, walk in no. The, I walk in the office at one point, and he's crouched over the bookcase trying to find a book. And he says, you know, we really need to alphabetize the bookcase. Right now? Right now? While you're supposed to yeah, be going let's to the go. office. Get I was scared That's to good. death. I didn't know what to expect. <laughs> but we had the best situation. We would go to the hospital, and you can't mess up with the baby in a hospital. Or if you do, at least the doctor's there. So, I mean, it was perfect. Right. Um, and I remember once we walked in that door, it was a Game completely changer. different situation because it's like, now the baby's here. Right. And it's okay. And I won't forget, you showed up that next morning, and you didn't have to. <laughs> and that meant more than you realize. You never did get to pray for us that day because you scared the crap out of the baby. But that's okay. <laughs> that is <do> okay. That. <laughs> Will you share what you thought the baby's name was? Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm bad with names. So if I rename you, listen. It's out of It love. is not that I don't love you. It is because I love you. Um, I was so excited and wanted to be there for them and be their pastor. And so uh, I went and I said, I can't wait to see Bambi. And they just looked at me, and they're like, who's Bambi? We'd love to meet her, too. She sounds great. The baby. They're like, Bambi? I'm like, I don't know. What's her name? And it was Paris, and I don't know how I got Paris and Bambi mixed up, but I probably will always call her Bambi. And um, But anyway, the thing that struck me the most was seeing the two of you so selflessly caring for a small life that had been basically uh, in a precarious position, I'll just say that. Um, and then later on, you both said to me separately, I didn't know it was possible to love something and someone so much. That's the beauty of skeletons in our closet when we turn them over to God. We experience, we receive that amazing love of God, and then we get to give it away. And that's when we fill that hole in that void that's in our lives. Would you please thank Drake and Tyler? Thank you. And I want to thank you for being a place where they can share their story. Let us pray. Gracious God, we all have stuff. We all have baggage. We all have skeletons. You take all of our skeletons and you empower us to use them for good. 
whatever skeletons we all are holding on to right now in this sacred space and time, will you take them? Will you bring us healing and peace? You are a good, good Father. And we offer ourselves to you in Christ's holy name. Amen. It is who we are. We are loved by a good, good Father. May you go and may you rest in the assurance and the peace of that love. And whenever those skeletons rear their ugly heads, may you just let them be gone. Because God loves us despite all of our skeletons. Go and be used by God. Amen.